There is nothing better known in the arena of poetry than the 23rd Psalm. Let's just stand and read it together. I want everybody to read it with me. Well, I'm reading out of the New King James. Let's read it together. Are you ready? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Why? For His name's sake. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the very presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, say surely like you believe it, surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Father, thank you for this incredible word from God. And this incredible description of our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we're in trying times and our faith is tried. I pray that this next few weeks will strengthen our faith, put peace in our heart, give us a far better understanding of the shepherdhood of God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love this. As you know, my habit is to read five psalms and one proverb every day. The 23rd psalm is David's psalm. Now, let me just go into verse 1, and I'm going to talk about the Lord being our shepherd. I just want you to say with me, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, you know, we know the Lord as Savior. We know Him as Messiah. We know Him as Deliverer and Healer. But I want us to really focus on the Lord is my shepherd. Now, this is written by a shepherd. We all know that when David was called to his daddy's house, he'd been out in the field shepherding sheep. And when Samuel anointed him to be the next king over Israel, we know that he was trained on the backside of a desert shepherding real sheep. Because you know, folks, as we're going to see, we're not a whole lot different from real sheep. He's the shepherd. Well, you don't have a shepherd unless there's sheep. And if he called himself the shepherds, we're going to see in just a moment, that must mean we're sheep. So I think we ought to open this up by all saying, bah. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> You're a sheep. And we have a shepherd. Now, I want you to notice that he begins, the Lord is. The Lord is. The Lord is. Did you know that all faith starts right there? The Lord is. The Bible says, He that comes to God must believe that He is. Well, I think that's more than just saying, well, yeah, I believe there's a God out there. Because you know a lot of people do that. You know who else does that? Devils. Because James said the devils believe He is, that He's out there. It's more than acknowledging, yeah, there's a God out there. Well, of course, you know, I believe that something was behind all this. There's a force out there. There's a God out there. Listen, that's not enough. Just saying, I believe a God is out there, well, number one, that will not get you saved. Jesus said you must be born 
twice if you're going to be saved. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're saved. Born once, you're dead. Born twice, you're alive. Jesus said you've got to be born again. So it's more than just saying the Lord is. Because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look out there at creation and say, He is. Once I know that He is, that He exists, I need to know what He is. What does the Bible say about God? What does the Bible say about God? For the foundation of my faith is built on what I believe about God. Tell me what you believe about God, and I'll tell you several things about your future. Tell me what you believe about Christ, and I'll tell you even more about your future. It's not just that we acknowledge that He is, it's what we believe about Him. Because everybody in this room believes certain things about God. You either believe that He's good or He's bad. You believe that He's faithful or He's not. You believe that He's personal or impersonal. You believe that He hears prayers or does not. You believe that He heals or does not. You believe that He delivers or does not. You believe that He really is on the other side the moment you die, or you don't. Tell me what you believe about God, and I'll tell you a lot about your future. Because if you believe that He is personal, that His eye roams to and fro throughout the whole earth, that He sees everything, good and bad, then see, that's going to dictate a lot of the way that you live. If you believe God is who He says He is in the Bible. He that comes to God must believe that He is. David said, here's what I think He is. Here's one of the things I believe that He is. He's my shepherd. David said, here's one of the beliefs I have about God. He's my shepherd. He shepherds me. Now that is a mouthful. That is a lot coming from a young man who was a shepherd of sheep. He said, of all the things I believe about God, and when you read the Psalms, he believes more than that. He did believe that he was a forgiving God, a healing God, a delivering God, a personal God, a protective God, a triumphant God. But here, David wants us to know he's a shepherd. Here's what I love about the Lord is my shepherd. Man, it's possessive. He's my shepherd. I can almost hear David proudly saying it. He's not just a shepherd. He doesn't just shepherd. He's my shepherd. He's mine. I know him as my shepherd. Now this is coming from a shepherd, as I've already mentioned, and from somebody who had known, folks, the more I read the Psalms, the more amazed I am. This man, David, had known many, many, many troubles. Years in the wilderness. Ten, in fact. In one point in the movie, on the fiddler on the roof, one of the main characters is on his roof, and he looks up and he says this, God, could you love somebody else? Have you ever felt that way? Carrying me the way you're carrying me, doing with me what you're doing with me, experiencing some of the troubles I have, can you love somebody else? You know, we so need to understand his ways with us, why we go through some of the things that we do. David could not understand. One moment, he's a hero. He's anointed by Samuel, the next king over Israel, and he's a hero. He becomes legend, a legend in his own time, in the whole land of Israel, after he slays Goliath. But then, in the bat of an eye, as Saul's visage, his countenance, and his heart towards him changed, David was running, 
in the woods and in the forest and in the deserts to escape this madman named Saul. And Saul vilified him, demonized him to the whole land of Israel so that David says in the Psalms, not one person, not one of my old friends, not one of my acquaintances will even acknowledge they know me. So demonized and vilified have I been by this man who is jealous of me and envious of me and wants to murder me. So because of that, think about it. Ten birthdays, ten years, ten times 365. That many days, he was on the run, always looking behind him, always sleeping with one eye open, always wondering, is this the day? If God doesn't protect me, I'm gone. If He doesn't guide me, I'm lost. Time and again, God delivered him from the vicious hand of this man, this madman, this king named Saul. He had to learn the shepherdhood of God because that's all he had. Saul had the whole kingdom of Israel. He had the armies of Israel. And all of them had been turned against David. David had 400 malcontents, discontents. Men who were angry and befuddled and didn't have anything better to do than follow David. He didn't have an army. He had God, my shepherd. And he ran from this man all the time, ducking and dodging. And you see when you read the Psalms and read Samuel and and kings and so on and so forth, you see how God expertly and incredibly delivered him over and over again. No wonder finally David wrote and said, the Lord is my shepherd. He guides me. He leads me. He protects me. David knew that he protected his sheep. He knew that when a lion came after one of them, or several of them, he grabbed that lion by the beard, broke his neck, broke his jaw, killed him with his bare hands. Same thing with a bear. He knew what shepherd meant. He knew that it was not just to guide, but it was to protect. It was to watch over. It was to feed It was to make certain, to make sure that those sheep were healthy and kept alive and kept protected. Years in the wilderness, he fled from a madman. Disappointment after disappointment after disappointment rocked his world. Betrayal and heartache over and over again. Loss of fame and fortune for a long season. From a hero to a zero overnight the trouble at Ziklag, where even his own men said, let's kill him and get out of this mad race, always running from Saul. We're tired of it. In all of these things, this shepherd boy finally looked up and said, wow, the Lord is my, my shepherd. Let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd. Say, put some emphasis on the my. The Lord is my shepherd. Amen. And this is what Jesus called Himself. Jesus said in John 10, I am the Good Shepherd. And the Good Shepherd gives His life for the sheep. In Hebrews, called Him that Great Shepherd of the sheep. So He's a Good Shepherd. He's a Great Shepherd. Peter said, and when the Chief Shepherd shall appear, so He called Him the Chief Shepherd. So to Peter and to Paul and Jesus Himself, He was known as the Shepherd. The shepherd. And the Bible calls us sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. Left to yourself, here's what you're going to do. You're going to stray. Left without a shepherd, you're going to stray. Not me, Pastor Jeff. See that halo over my head? I'm righteous. I'm like a rock. I'll never stray. 
you take the shepherd out of your life for one week, you're going to stray. Because it says the love of Christ constrains us. There is a constraint on God's children. And it's the Holy Ghost, and it's the constraining power of God, the constraining power of the shepherd. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned every one of us to our own way, and that's what sheep do. And the Lord, as a result of that and because of that, laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Now let me ask you a question, honestly. A lot of churches are real good at this, getting you to the point where you say, yeah, He's my Savior. Yeah, I accepted Christ when I was three years old. Got baptized, can't remember it, but they told me I was. Now let me ask you this. You got saved, but is He your daily shepherd? Now if He is, that means you look up and you say, Lord, I need you today. I need you to lead me. I need you to guide me. Lord, if you don't protect me, I know I'm going to stumble. If you don't protect me, I will stray. I'm asking you to be Lord of my life. And in being Lord, that means you're shepherd. That means if you beckon me to go a certain way, I'm going to go. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to resist you. I want you to be my shepherd. I want you to guide me. That's the daily walk of lordship with Christ. He's your shepherd. Not just a savior. Not just a meal ticket for heaven. Not just fire insurance. He's your shepherd. Daily. You open up that word, and it's his rod, and it's his staff. And with that word, he guides you and directs you. The Holy Spirit within you says, do this, do that, don't this, don't that. Gives you peace or takes his peace away. That's the shepherdhood of Christ. There's a lot of things about a shepherd. In Bible days, a shepherd would mark his sheep. In the Bible days, every shepherd would mark their sheep. And it was called the mark of ownership. Every sheep man, sheepman, had his own distinct mark of ownership, which he cut into one of the ears of his sheep. That way, even from a distance, he could spot his own. That's one of my sheep. That's one of mine. That one's mine. I see my mark. Also, when a slave in any Hebrew household chose of his own free will to become a lifetime member of that home, he went through a ritual. His master would take him to his door, put his earlobe against the doorpost, and puncture a hole through his ear. He'd have felt right at home in our day. That's a joke, son. Think about it. (laughs) From then on, he was marked for life. Now, do you know that our shepherd has a mark of ownership on us? Ephesians 1.13. Listen to what Ephesians 1.13 tells us it is. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, watch this, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Can you say the word with me, sealed? Because that's way more serious than a hole in your earlobe. Listen to what God did. The sealing means you were purchased, you were bought. You are not your own. Oh, we've got to get this in our minds, folks. This is lordship. See, what we've gotten in our day is Christianity light. we got Christianity light. Everywhere you turn, Christianity light. We're not taught about lordship, about the shepherdhood of God. We're not taught about being purchased and dying to yourself, crucifying your old man and going on with God. We don't hear those things. We hear puffy, cotton candy, candy apple kind of stuff that makes everybody feel good. But let me tell you something. When God saved you and put His Spirit within you, Are you ready? You are no longer your own. 1 Corinthians 6.20, watch this now. For you were bought at a price. 
Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And listen to chapter 7, verse 23. You were bought at a price. So do not become slaves of men. Don't be slaves of their opinion. Don't be slaves of what they think or don't think about you. Don't be slaves of men in any way, shape, or form. There's only one person you need to worry about pleasing, and he's not on this earth. He's up there. He's here by his spirit, but he's at the right hand of God the Father. Care a whole lot about what he thinks, but don't worry excessively about what people think, because the Bible says don't become slaves of men. If you're always worried about the opinion of other people, you are a slave to them. Bought with a price. The word bought means to go to market. Go to market. Jesus went to the market. He went to the market of sin, damnation, condemnation, and judgment. And He offered His blood at the counter and said, I purchase them. I purchase them. This is the only money that will get them out of sin, out of hell, out of bondage, out of slavery, to sin, and to the devil. And I put my blood down on the counter. He went to market. And the blood was received. So when that blood covers you, then the Spirit of God goes into you. And you become a new person, born twice. It's not rehabilitation. It is transformation. It is not a New Year's resolution. You undergo a heart transplant brought about by the Spirit of God by asking Christ into your heart. And it changes you. That's the mark. And when He marks you with the spirit of ownership, He becomes your shepherd. And you begin a life of being guided and protected by God, by the shepherd, Jesus Christ. When you say truthfully in your heart, the Lord is my shepherd, not a shepherd, but my shepherd, that's lordship. So that when decisions come your way, a wrong one or a right one, You look up and you say, huh, well, what's the shepherd say? And you let him guide you. That's the shepherdhood of Christ. How do you respond to his authority and acknowledge his ownership? Do you do that? Do you acknowledge his ownership? Have you had the fun of taking his ownership away from him and seeing what happened to you? Never is good. Do you find freedom and joy in the arrangement of him being the shepherd? Do you find freedom and joy in that? You should. The Lord is my shepherd. He guides me. Now, because he's your shepherd, i got good news for you. Because he is your shepherd, you shall not want. He said, I shall not want. Now, this is basically talking about not wanting. It's not getting everything you desire because you're not going to. If it's a righteous desire and God puts it in your heart, you'll get it. But all your desires, you're not going to get This is talking about not wanting or lacking for proper care, management, or guidance. I shall not want for proper care, management, or guidance. I shall not lack those things. He is my shepherd, so he will manage me, guide me, and care for me, guaranteed, because he is your shepherd. Every step you take, he sees it. Every direction you go, he knows it. Every thought you think, He hears it. He knows everything about His sheep. And you've got a mark on you. It's the Holy Ghost living inside of you. When He looks at you, He says, there's my mark. There's my sheep. 
when the rapture happens, he's not going to have any problem finding those who are his because all of us have been marked with a mark of ownership, the Holy Ghost. When Jesus appears, he'll say, there's my sheep, that one, that one, that one. That's why it says two will be walking in the field, one will be taken, the other one left. How does he do that? He sees the mark. There's one with my mark, that one doesn't have the mark, up you go, the other one stays. That's the mark of ownership. It's also, I believe, talking about being contented. Do you hear the, the contentment in him? He's my shepherd. Because of that, bless God, I'm so proud of him. I shall not let want torment me. I shall learn contentment because I know my shepherd is going to take care of me. So not only am I not going to lack for proper care and management and guidance, But you know what? I'm not going to be tormented by things I don't have because if I've got it, I trust that He brought it to me. If I don't have it yet, I trust Him with that too. And that's how I find contentment. I shall not be tormented. I shall not be hounded by incessant want because He's my shepherd. He's my shepherd. My three dogs, now they have torn love interests because I've got to tell you, she's the alpha person in my house. When she comes home, it's like the second coming of Christ every single time. They come out from under the couch and other rooms, and I mean, they make over her, and I say, you know, I'm here. And they're basically saying, no, she's the alpha person. But but for the sake of illustration, here's the deal. I was out back, I was reading my Bible, the sun had just risen, beautiful day out, had all three dogs out there with me. My little terrier, Ollie, is real aggressive and real playful, and he'll run them to death. He'll harass them in a playful way until they just can't see straight. So what I did, as the sun rose and it got really hot, I thought, well, I'm going to let the other two in. And so I opened the door, the air conditioning came flooding out, the other two went prancing in, looking behind them like, (laughs) we're in. I shut the door. Ollie, he's looking through the window at them, doing his head like this. You know how they do? Like, I'm seeing something I don't understand. I wish I could talk, but I can't talk, so I do this. And he's looking in there. They lay on the carpet, air conditioning. He's out here in this heat with me. He looked at me, and I'm telling you, he wanted to talk. If he could have talked, here's what he would have said. I don't understand. You let them in? You love them better than me? Is it my deodorant today? What's the deal? You're showing favoritism? Why'd you let them in and not me? I don't understand. I'm a dog too. I'm as hot as they were. But you leave me out here in this sun. You open a door for them that you don't open for me. You shut a door on me that you didn't shut on them. He looked at me like, I don't understand. And there was a moment there where I thought, now if he was a person and I was Christ, it's possible he would have said, since I don't understand, I'm out of here. You're not fair. You showed favoritism. I don't think that you've got my best intentions or my best interests in your mind. I wonder about your intentions. Toward... So I'm going to walk around the side of the house and sulk. That's not what Ollie did, because Ollie's a dog. And I really do wish I was the person he thinks I am, because they worship you. He walked over to me, licked my feet, laid down at my feet, looked up at me and said, I'm happy right here. You know what I did? 
I let him in. I just thought, I can't stand it. He had a great attitude. I got to let him in. Folks, he was basically saying, I trust you. I don't understand what you did. It looks to me unfair. But I trust you. And here's the deal, folks. He'll never think my thoughts. He will never think my thoughts. If he had sat there for 10 years and tried to figure out why I did what I did, he'd have never figured it out. There are some things we will never figure out. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. You're not ever going to understand why I do some of the things I do, why some doors open, some close, why some seem blessed and you don't for the time being. It may look like I'm showing favoritism when I'm really not. Simon Peter fell into the same trap. After Jesus told John the Apostle he was going to live to a ripe old age, he turned around and told Peter, someday they're going to bind you up, Peter, and they're going to take you where you do not want to go, Jesus predicting his martyrdom. And Peter said, but what about that man? Jesus said what we all need to hear. What is that to you? I'll do with you what I want to do with you. You don't understand what I'm doing with John. Tell you the truth, Peter, if you knew what was going to happen to him when he was an old man, you wouldn't want to be in his shoes because he's going to be on a desolate island called Patmos all alone for a long time. And I'm keeping him alive so that I can move on him and give him the revelation. But Peter, you don't understand that. You're just going to have to trust me. So he basically said, okay, all right. And we know that he was martyred upside down on a cross, mocking the Christ he preached. It's okay. There's times you've got to go, don't get it. I trust you. Because you're my shepherd. I shall not want. Can you say with me, I shall not want? I shall not want. I really do believe contentment's a key. Contentment is the mark of somebody totally trusting the shepherd. You'll never be content if you don't trust him. Now, is that easy? No. I've struggled so much lately with some things, y'all, where I've looked up and said, you know, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I'm having to come to a place, and I bounce it off of Kathy about ten times a day and a few others. I don't get it. But you're just going to have to help me, Lord, because I'm just trying to trust you, but my mind won't stop. And I'm finally just going to have to try trust you. Because contentment is what is on the other side of trust. I shall not constantly crave and pine for the grass on the other side of the fence, because the grass on the other side of the fence has not been given to me. Besides, it may take more fertilizer. You don't know. If the grass looks greener, it probably did take more fertilizer. It might even be astroturf. You think I'm kidding? I think it might better read like this. I shall not want, I shall not lack the expert care, guidance, and management of my shepherd. You may not have all you want, but you will have what you need. I promise you that, guarantee you that, because he's your shepherd. David said, I shall be satisfied when I awake. In another psalm, he said, I shall be satisfied when I awake with your likeness. If all that is there is your likeness is you, I'll be satisfied with that. Paul wrote, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's the promise of the shepherd. Well, Lord, surely you're blessing so-and-so more than me. Stop it. You don't know where they're going to end up. You don't know what's going to happen with them. 
1 Timothy 6, verse 7 and 8. We brought nothing into this world. Did you bring anything in with you? I didn't. And it's certain we're going to carry nothing out. I've never seen a U-Haul at a funeral. Have you? You don't take anything with you. That's why it's so silly to give your life for money. Because all that's going to happen when you die is everybody who thinks they can get some of it is going to be at your funeral crying on cue. You're not going to take it with you. You didn't bring it with you. You're not taking it out. So he says, having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Food and clothing. With that we'll be content. Content. Say with me, contentment is learned. It's not going to drop on you like an anointing out of heaven. You're not going to go, the, the contentment anointing. No, it's learned. Contentment is a learned response to the deficiencies in life. When you look around, you don't have everything you want. You say, you know what? He's my shepherd. I shall not be tormented with want. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I'm going to read this and we'll close. Can you say with me again? He's my shepherd. He's my shepherd. Listen to what Paul said. Not that I speak in regard to need. For I have learned in whatever state I am, I've learned in whatever state I'm in, I've learned to be content. Notice, I've learned it. I've learned it. I've learned it. I know how to be abased, how to be abased or to live humbly, and I know how to abound, to live in prosperity. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, can you hear in the words of this man, I've got a shepherd. And if my circumstances are humble, I'm trusting my shepherd and I'm going to be content. If they're prosperous, I need to trust him then because prosperity can ruin you. It can. I'm going to trust him then. I'm not going to let money take my heart off of God. If riches increase, don't set your heart on them, Proverbs says. He says, in any situation, I've got a shepherd. And through him, I've learned contentment. I can do all things. What are the all things he's talking about there? Learning to be content. I can do. Learning to be content is one of the all things that I can do through Christ who strengthens me. Learn contentment is obtained through Christ who's strengthening you. Are you ready? He's strengthening you to be content. His strength is there to be content. I guarantee you, virtually everybody in this room, you've got some things, but you don't have everything you want. Not everything. If I stood up here and suddenly God said, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you, there's not a one of you that would not ask me for something that you don't have. What are we going to do with that? Ollie. Remember Ollie. I don't get it. But I trust you. I'm content. The Lord is my shepherd. I have relinquished my will and have submitted to his guiding care. I shall not want. I will rest content in his will. However it manifests. So I picture David. He's writing. He's saying, you know, this psalm is flowing out of the fullness of my heart because in all my running, ducking, and dodging, and trials, and tribulations, testings. I've learned he's always there. If I'm sleeping in a cave, he's my shepherd. 
If I'm in an open field, the stars above me, he's my shepherd. If Saul is a half a mile away from me trying to kill me, he's my shepherd. Whether or not I ever ascend that throne, because sometimes it doesn't look like it, he's still my shepherd. He's my shepherd, so I'm not going to want. 